1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. This week and every week on Biblical Anarchy, we seek to live counterculture to the empire of man and to instead seek the kingdom of God by unpacking what the Bible teaches about government, authority, and human relationships. I am your host, Jacob Daniel. Today's episode is a bit impromptu and without a script. It's the holiday season, or the Christmas season, rather, I should say. It's a time of year where we get together with family, where we attend church and we see our children perform Christmas pageants, and we hear the story about how Joseph and Mary trekked to Bethlehem and gave birth to the Savior of the world, an event that would change the course of human history. I look back on my childhood and remember my Christmases being pretty much formulaic. We would start out in the morning with a breakfast, usually like a French toast casserole, some sort of sweet breakfast. And then we would open presents. Then the rest of the family would arrive, grandparents, uncle, other relatives. And we would just have a whole day together of just laughing, enjoying each other's company, listening to Christmas music, and ending the day out on some board games, or occasionally we would also watch a movie. Sometimes it would be Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or the Die Hard movies, as uh, they became very affectionately referred to as the best Christmas movie in my household. As I became older, some strife and hardship started to occur in my family, and tensions were the norm. But every year at Christmas... Everything would sort of stop. And even the hard things that were going on around us would suddenly become background noise. And that calm and peace and joy of Christmas would still occur, even if it was slightly different and fractured because of divorce and different separations that happened. And I remember going to Christmas Eve services from the time I was young to as an adult. And there's always been one Christmas hymn that has really meant a lot to me. And I I didn't know why it meant a lot to me when I was a kid. It was just a song that I sang, and it just became my favorite. I think because of just the sort of spirit and the tone and the music of it. But, you know, as a kid, you understand things in the way of a child. And as you mature, the things that you viewed as a kid, you start to view in a different way. And I, the song... O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, started to become a song every Christmas that I would sing. And it's one of those songs that there's many different versions of, and you see different verses pop up at time, from time to time, sometimes completely different renditions of even the refrain or the chorus. and But I think the more traditional version is the one that I heard a lot growing up. And I want to read through the entire lyric here of the version that I'm the most familiar with and then focus in on the last two verses because they sort of get at what I have on my heart that I want to talk about. So, O come, O come, Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to you. O Israel, O come, O wisdom from on high who ordered all things mightily to us the path of knowledge show and teach us in its way to go. O come, O come, great Lord of might, who to your tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times did give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. O come, O branch of Jesse's stem, unto your own and rescue them. From depths of hell your people save and give them victory o'er the grave. O come, O key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe for us the heavenward road, and bar the way to death's abode. O come, O bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night, and turn our darkness into light. O come, O king of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease and be yourself our king of peace. As a young child, I would watch people playing the war of video games and watching war movies. And, you know, of course, there was a bit of a fascination that I had with those things, but I kind of lost a taste for them as I grew older. And I started to understand more what war and violence really was and what it really meant. I'm not coming at this from some sort of like censorship angle where I think people need to ban certain video games or whatnot. I think this is something that I remember hearing first from Jordan Peterson. He was kind of quoting some union philosophy, psychology, the idea of sort of incorporating the shadow and the idea that there is a inner darkness within all of us And that we can either suppress that and ignore it, or we can find a way to integrate that. And Jordan Peterson, I've heard him say, and I don't know if it's his original line or if he borrowed this from someone like Jung, but the idea that a good man is not a harmless man. Rather, a good man is a man who has that capacity for evil and for aggression and for great violence. And rather than becoming harmless, still has that capacity and... Chooses not to use it, or rather, has stored it away to use it only when it is just and right to use it. And you know, these are deep topics that I've wrestled with as I've become an adult, now in my thirties, with four children of my own, trying to figure out this crazy world that we live in, and wanting to bring my kids up in the right way. Growing up in the '90s, and then being eight years old when, or nine years old when 9/11 happened. A lot of my formative years were during the George Bush era, during the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq, and I remember being sold this idea of, you know, America as this holy nation, and that our military was on this noble mission to fight evil and to bring justice to those who had attacked us. That we were God's chosen people in a way. Then I remember in high school in my history class. Our history teacher devoted an entire class one day to showing us photos of the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq. At this point, gosh, it was probably like 2010. So I think by that point, a lot of people knew that there were false pretenses to the war in Iraq. The war in Afghanistan was largely a failure. I remember seeing the people, the interviews of people that they found, and they weren't happy that America was there They didn't view them as liberators. Even the most generous ones, you could tell there was a sense of fear or anger towards America. And I started to do research into the reasons why 9 11 happened and the reasons why people hated America. You look into the history of our foreign policy, of America's foreign policy in that region, and the just hundreds of thousands of innocent people who got caught up in the crossfire of. Whether it was our bombs, or whether it was the bombs that we sold to other people that got dropped on them, or people starving to death because of our trade embargoes. And I remember the first time I watched Schindler's List in my Holocaust Studies class, and then we took a trip to the Holocaust Memorial, and just seeing the pictures of the bodies piled up, and it was around that time that I shifted real radically in my mindset, and felt convicted as a young person to view war in a completely different way than I had been brought up to view it. It wasn't this Hollywood vision of heroes going to liberate people from oppression. Rather, we looked a lot more. The pictures of Iraq and Afghanistan after U.S. occupation were too eerily similar to the pictures depicted of areas conquered by Nazi Germany than I cared to admit. And then you sing these songs at Christmas as a Christian, O bright and morning star, to turn our darkness into light. And the idea of that last verse, you No, know, come, O king of nations, bind in one heart, in one of the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease and be yourself our king of peace. We talk about Jesus being. Prince of Peace, God with us, Emmanuel. I remember my grandmother who lived with us when I was a boy. She passed away when I was five. And I remember her favorite passage that she used to talk to me about was the one where Jesus talked about the least of these. And that passage comes from Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another, the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goat on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food, and I was thirsty, and you gave me drink, and I was a stranger, and you welcomed me, and I was naked, and you clothed me, I was sick, and you visited me, I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying Lord when when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king will answer them truly I say to you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers you did it to me you know a lot of us like to stop there but there's more to this passage and then he will say to those on his left depart from me then he will answer to them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. If what we do to the least of these is done unto the Lord, I just shudder to think about what that would imply for all that the American government and its military has done to people in the Middle East, has done to the people in Latin America and South America because of our implications with the drug cartels and the war on drugs and intelligent intelligence agencies interfering there as much as they do in the Middle East. Even here at home, we don't take care of the least of these not enough. And I won't claim to be an expert in theology. I haven't attended seminary, but I'm pretty sure when Jesus says that what you did to the least of these you've done unto me, I don't think he was thinking about Tomahawk missiles being dropped on civilians, wiping them out in an instant, or children in Yemen starving to death because of our trade embargoes. During this Christmas season, it's hard to balance the mix of emotions. The joy that I get when I think about the hope in Jesus Christ and that image of Jesus coming into the world at its darkest moment, in the imagery of Jesus coming at the darkest part of the year, even if he wasn't born that way, You know, people dispute when he was born. And again, it's, even if it's just a poetic idea, there's beauty in it. The idea that it's kind of like the beginning of John, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's what Christmas represents. And there's joy in that. There's joy in the fact that Jesus came to earth, that God, our father became God, our brother. And he walked among us and he showed us how to live. He showed us how to live a righteous life, and then he took on our sin and died in our place. And then the sacrifice of the righteous one paid the price for the sin of all mankind. But juxtaposed with that great joy is this just tremendous sadness that we call Jesus our Prince of Peace, or in that song, our King of Peace. And that we're told that in Christ, there is no Jew, nor Greek, no Gentile, no male, no female, no master, no slave. We are all one. And if there's anything that Paul harps on about in the New Testament, uh, as much as anything, it's the idea that Jesus came for all. It wasn't just for the Jewish people and that to strike down looking at humanity in these divisions. But what are we doing today? What are our nation states? What are our national divisions? What is our current global paradigm doing? You know, that other verse in O Come Emmanuel, to go back to that, it said, O come, O branch of Jesse's stem, unto your own and rescue them. And this is sort of an allusion. And there, there's such deep theological references, <laughs> scriptural references in, in that hymn. But this is sort of a allusion to Isaiah 11, which is a prophecy that points towards the Messiah and says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He will, shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The stump of Jesse, that's Jesus, and the spirit of the Lord that is upon him, is one of wisdom and understanding and of counsel. And it brings a peace to the earth. It brings a peace that is described in such radical imagery as a wolf lying down with a lamb. And the calf and the lion can be led together by a little child. Again, it's such joy and sadness at the same time because the church isn't getting it. This is what we should represent to the world but we're not doing it. We're not doing it well enough. And Isaiah 9, again, another messianic prophecy says that his name shall be called, we backtrack, says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How often, though, has that has Jesus, Emmanuel, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, been twisted into the justification for some conquest or some war or some advancement of tyranny and of death and destruction? These prophecies of Jesus, the way he was described in the Old Testament as they were looking forward to the Messiah, and then the way Jesus walked in his life they're not reconcilable with this Americanized, westernized, militarized version of Jesus that is used to justify all this war and violence. And during this Christmas season, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer. (laughs) I want us to be transformed by the Spirit, by the hope in Christ. And I want us to take that joy and to take that hope and to be inspired to bring it to the world. But that does mean that we have to consequentially be the loudest and the first ones to voice out, to shout out against injustice and the shout out against war and violence that is done upon the least of these, because that's being done to our Lord. We sing the words bid all our sad divisions cease and gosh, if truer words weren't ever spoken. Because think about it from the perspective of our Heavenly Father and from Jesus. And just think about the squabbles that we have as humans. They're so petty. You know, on the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus said, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But now I say unto you, if someone strikes you, turn to them the other cheek. And if someone asks you to walk a mile, walk a second mile. And I would not venture to say that we're called to be pacifists, but we are called to be the opposite either. (laughs) There is such a thing as, again, understanding that there are proper times for defensive force to stop injustice. We have to be able to clearly distinguish defensive force that's aimed at protecting the innocent from imperialism and war and violence that is aimed at coercing people and at advancing the agendas of the rich and the powerful, elites and the military industrial complex, and advancing all sorts of goals and agendas, none of which are compatible with what Christ has called us to advance. You know, there's a an old Christmas story or Christmas miracle that gets talked about. And I, I saw it shared on social media just this past day called the Christmas Truce, which was a widespread unofficial ceasefire during the First World War and during the Christmas of 1914 between the British and the Germans. We see from the journals and writings of those who were there to witness it that late on Christmas Eve, the British side heard singing from the German side and they were singing Christmas carols. And then the British soldiers began to sing back. And then they heard someone from the English, heard someone from the German side shouting out in English, but with a German accent saying to come out, come over here. And then the British respond, well, the British sergeant responded, well, you come halfway and I'll come halfway. And they reached in the middle and they kind of shook hands and they laid down their arms and then, People from both sides began to kind of nervously follow suit. And then what took place after that was this miracle. These soldiers who spent the better part of a year trying to kill each other and then would go back to doing that after this. Spent a day in joy and fellowship with one another. And drinking and singing and playing football and just talking with one another. It was a miracle. It was actually very unpopular with the commanding officers of both sides. And we didn't see a a ceasefire like this happen for the rest of the war because there was explicit orders not to. And I just, man, you, you hear a story like that and you go, you know what? Christmas, which at the heart of Christmas is Christ, it calls us towards peace. It calls us towards no longer letting these sad divisions that we come up with as mankind rule us, but rather to be ruled by that spirit of peace and love and wanting to unite under Christ. And it's only through the tyranny of those who want to continue violence and bloodshed that we fail to do so, or by our lack of courage to, like, what kind of courage must it have taken to to step out? I can't even imagine in that context what possessed the soldiers or the sergeants from either side to step out and to attempt at some sort of ceasefire like that. I mean, when you when you look back at the sort of warfare that World War One brought, I mean, it was sort of like the first modern war of post-industrial revolution, and they were in no man's land. They were in, if you ever watched like that, uh, I think of the Wonder Woman movie and you know, how they said no man can cross it and then she crosses it with her shield and stuff. But that movie doesn't even come close to depicting how horrible it was. And these people were just stuck in these trenches for the better parts of the entire war. And Christmas, one Christmas of just singing carols, suddenly all that violence washes away. And we can get a little bit depressed by the fact that the violence just picked back up. But isn't that life? It's a lot of darkness, but the light shines within it. And we will continue to fall short, but we can also be inspired by that light. And we can choose to do what we can to spread that light and to let it shine in us, in what we say and in what we do and in what we support. And so I don't have any great lesson here. (laughs) You know, I don't have any great written out thesis But these things were on my heart and I wanted to share them. And I I hope what you can get from what I'm saying, and I hope I'm communicating it clearly enough, is that as we leave this Christmas season and then we leave this cold and dark winter and enter the new year, let's really try to live our entire lives with, and the rest of this year with the lyrics that we sing in that song and in all the Christmas carols in our mind. We often talk about the spirit of Christmas and of love and family and and of Jesus being the gift to mankind. And that's all true. And I don't want to diminish from that or subtract from that at all. I just want to add with that, that Jesus was the hope of mankind for our salvation, for the forgiveness of sins. And also he is the Prince of Peace and that he calls us to end these sad divisions. He is the wonderful counselor. He is All of the things that the old testament prophecies described him as being. He is everything that the gospels describe him as being when he walked this earth. He didn't he was not the conquering warlord that some Jews wanted him to be. He didn't come wielding a sword to overthrow the Romans. He didn't come with violence to end violence. He said, If you want to be the greatest, you will be a servant. He said, I have come not to rule, but to Serve and to pour myself out for mankind. And if we're going to follow after him, that's what we as the church, as the body of Christ, that's what we have to do. We can't pour out, we can't pour ourselves out as servants to the world and advocate for death and destruction of the world. These things are incompatible. We have to stand up against injustice and we have to stand up for instead that image of. Jesus washing his apostles' feet, the image of Jesus walking among us, sitting down with the sinners and the tax collectors. And we have to instead of having Christianity or America be this group of people who are associated with empire and imperialism and adv- and, and expansion and ruling over people and coercing people. I think back to that song O come Emmanuel. And just that first verse, oh come Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. We aren't that anymore. We're not sitting waiting for the Son of God to appear anymore. He has appeared and he lives in us. And so let's go out there and let's live that. Let's bring the hope. Let's not bring bombs to the world. Let's bring the hope and the love of Christ to the world, and let's go to those dark places of the world where people, you know, whether it's in our own backyards or it's halfway across the world, wherever it is, wherever there's people who are downtrodden, who are the least of these, let's be Christ to them. Let's serve them as if they are Christ. Let us go after them and minister to them. That is the best way, I think, to celebrate Christmas and to keep that spirit of Christmas alive through the rest of the season and into the new year. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas, and I hope that this wasn't too depressing. I hope that this stirs you to action. I hope that it, hope that it pulls at your heart, but I hope that it also gives you hope, because as, as much as we can get overwhelmed by the evil in this world, we know that Jesus has overcome the world. And all I'm asking is that let's let that light of Christmas inspire us to not hide our light and not retreat from the world, but let's bring the light to the world, because that is our role. That is what we are called to do. Thank you guys for listening, and I look
0: forward to talking with you again in the new year. Take care. The Biblical Anarchy Podcast is a part of the Christians for Liberty Network, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. If you love this podcast, it helps us reach more with a message of freedom when you rate and review us on your favorite podcast apps, and share with others. If you want to support the production of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, please consider donating to the Libertarian Christian Institute at biblicalanarchypodcast.com where you can also sign up to receive special announcements and resources related to biblical anarchy. Thanks for tuning in.